Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host, Michael McCall, bringing you another packed show from AFTN Tower's Quarantine Bunker. We've got a lot in store for you tonight. We're going to be speaking to two Whitecaps players, Gianni Obekel and Freddie Montero. We're going to be looking at some of the stories that, that's made the news this week in North America. And we're going to kick things off with our usual Around the World with Joe Corona section. Although we're not so much going around the world this week, we're, we're sticking firmly in North America and Major League Soccer and the Canadian Premier League. There have been some stories from elsewhere. The Bundesliga were hoping to get back to playing in May, but local restrictions and government restrictions might not make that possible. Premier League is talking about getting back into action in June. Championship clubs have been giving their players three weeks holiday just now to kind of relax before the, the season they hope is going to get underway again. In Scotland, the farce that we talked about last week is still rumbling on. Dundee finally voted for the end of the season for the lower leagues. And then football reconstruction is back in the air up there as well as lots of court cases and legal proceedings and investigations are pending. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more news on those things coming out in the the coming weeks, so we'll, we'll talk about those later. But for tonight's show, I want to focus specifically on stuff that's happened this week in MLS and the CPL. And I'm delighted to say that joining me once again on the phone to talk about those things is Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. How are you doing tonight, Zach? Good, Michael. Good to be with you. And just to let everyone know, Steve is alive. It's just he's wanting a little bit of a break just now. So that's why we haven't had him on the show. It's not favouritism. <laughs> but we are going to be doing some video stuff with Steve. He doesn't know it yet. We've put some secret cameras up in his house. But we're going to do some, some videos with Steve soon. So check out those on YouTube. Not sure when that's going to happen, but we've done some trials. We'll see what happens. I mean, one thing which is not going to be back anytime soon, no big surprise, is Major League Soccer. Officially, the league put their moratorium out that there will be no matches until at least June 8th. Training is still suspended until April 24th, but obviously that's going to just keep going and going. Again, I still don't know why they don't just say indefinitely and they, they just bring it back when they can bring it back. But we know that there's not going to be any MLS football until at least the middle of June. Major League Soccer held a conference call with the, the Players Union, the MLSPA, this week. 
And they discussed a number of things on that. One of the things they discussed was various scenarios. One being that they're looking at if the league came back in six weeks, if it came back in the late summer, everything like that as to what it could look like. So, I mean, it's good that they're having all these different scenarios. But the big talking point that came out of that conference call, ESPN reported it on Friday, the conference call took place on Thursday, is that MLS are wanting the the players to take some significant pay cuts. Now, in, in summary, the the thought is that if there is no season at all, players will still get 50% of their salaries. If there is a full season, they would get their full salaries. Anything in between nothing and a full season would be kind of prorated. Now, it also does not affect players who earn under 100000 Um, There would be different scenarios if fans were in attendance as opposed to closed-door games, but we know there's not going to be any fans in attendance at all. I mean, that's pretty obvious right now. But for me, I've tweeted a little bit about this. I, I just think it's disgraceful when you look at what the owners make from all these expansion fees, nine-figure expansion fees, obscene amounts, 200 200 million, 250 million, 300 million, to then say that the league... The league's pleading poverty because all this money goes to the owners. The owners should be saying, look, we're going to take care of our players, our employees, and we're going to make sure that they get paid their salaries. I mean... Maybe that's just me coming from my left-wing background. But, I mean, what, what was your thoughts on that when you first heard it, Zach? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite concerning um, that, they would, that they would do this. Uh, maybe they think in the public eye they're, they're shell game with some uh, people understand or agree with or whatever. But people who understand the league and how it operates and how some works know that there's no shortage of money knows that you can plead all you want on the soccer ops end that you're losing money, but you're making this ton of money uh, on things like expansion fees and probably a couple other things in there that are that go with some in terms of some, I think even some of the TV money is through some and all that kind of stuff. So um, it is concerning that, especially for a league that has such low salaries in comparison to the rest of the world of yeah. football, that, that they're doing this, or uh, that, that they want to take this approach. Uh, I mean, there's some upsides, like the the fact that anyone on a hundred or less, they'll they'll make that, and which is which is which is good. You know, thinking about you know people who live in Vancouver who are making less than a hundred thousand dollars, probably. Not, I mean, they're not they're not things are probably super difficult for them, but it's you know you, you, to live in Vancouver, you you need to have money. You need to have a good salary or, or whatever. So it's good to hear that the low end of the salary, people are going to be protected. But it's a little bit concerning, especially this is like, see, this is, a, this is an opportunity for a league like MLS or thinking about like the, the Whitecaps as an organization. This is an opportunity where you have to show people that, you, that you're more than a business, right? Yeah. Um, not that you, you don't have to be. If you don't want to be, that's fine. Here's an opportunity to say, yeah, we know this is going to be bad, and we know this year is going to be bad, and everyone's going through a rough time, but we have this group of owners who is worth so much money. Uh, We have so much money that's come in from these sources connected to our club and the league and some. Let's 
let's pay our people what we promised them, even though, you know, the season's not going to happen. I, I think I think of that for both the, you know, the players and coaches, but also, you know, the, as we talked in the past, the people working in the front office. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's, uh, you know, a part of this discussion is there are ways that certain types of organizations or whatever, or, or the organizations can get government funding when their business is down or uh, when their business is heavily impacted because of yeah uh, because of the pandemic right so obviously the owner should um use that money as 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 they're able to or whatever but i don't think people should be not getting paid their you know pre-agreed upon amount well yeah and i mean that that's opened up not just here but like elsewhere as well the government subsidies that are in around the world people are saying should sport teams qualify for that should sports people qualify for that? I mean, the hockey, there's been some stuff on Twitter today about hockey leagues saying, getting in touch with the government, do they, do they qualify for these? And I don't think you can really say one business does, one business doesn't. I mean, sport, whether we like it or not, sports teams are a business. But as you say, this is the chance for owners to say, yeah, look, we are going to take care of our players if they have to take a 50% pay cut, we will meet that. Because the owners of these teams are not poor people. And what I'm interested in seeing is some owners may decide that they want to do that. And some owners, and I can think of some, that would be like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But will they get? Will some owners get to do that or will they have to be all bound together? And if some do break ranks, is that going to be a, a kind of split in this whole pyramid scheme that I keep waiting to crash down at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as of right now, do we know, do, do sports businesses qualify for like in Canada, for example? I, I don't know. I, I think they do. But they yeah. And an interesting thing I was reading today, just as an aside in Denmark, the Danish government has said any business that is registered in a tax haven, for example, and does not pay Danish tax they won't qualify for all this relief. So, I mean, that's great. That obviously doesn't apply to, to these things, but... No. So, I mean, some governments might have things put in. I, I mean, a sports business, it should qualify. That was why the likes of Tottenham and Liverpool were going to do that in England. And then the backlash against them from the public forced them to say, OK, no, we, we won't use government funds because we make so much money and we're owned by billionaires. We, we won't take advantage of it. It's different here, I I think, for an MLS team compared to, say, an NFL team. Yeah. Because you're talking different money. You're talking the salaries of the players is different. Like, the, the budget for an MLS team is probably less than most NFL players make just individually and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And we're not talking about well-paid players here on the whole. And that is what, that's why it's good that players under 100,000 are protected but you also have to think as well, some players, their mortgages and where they're they're buying, it have been taken out based on their salary. Yep. So if you're cutting, I mean, a player that maybe earns four million a year, just as an example, they've, they'll have budgeted what their mortgage and stuff is on that, cut that to two million, they should probably still afford to pay stuff. But a player on, say, 500,000, Cut that by fifty percent down to two fifty thousand. 
they could be in some some real serious bother, or even a player on two hundred thousand cut to one hundred thousand. Yeah. So I mean, we're not talking about. There's not that many super super well paid players in MLS. Yeah, most of them make more than most of us make for for our annual salary, but I mean they will have probably bought property and budgeted their lifestyle according on what they're getting paid. And there could be some in, in real peril after this. And again, they'll look at what's happening in MLS. They'll look at what's happening around the world. Players that's maybe considering coming over here will look to see how different okay. leagues treat their players. And they'll be like, yeah. well, you know what? I don't know that I want to, to go over there anymore. Yeah, I mean, you saw that in the past too. The yeah. People take note of how people conduct themselves in, in times like these, uh, which is, very, I think, very true. Um yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I, I like what you said too, in terms of if there will be like a, a hard line, like amongst the ownership, in terms of like, hey, everyone has to stick to this. So, uh, or if anyone would break that and say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay my staff or my players or or my people um, because I believe in it and I can afford it, and you know, whatever. Yeah, I'd love to to get a chance to chat to some of the owners about that can't see that happening but I'll put some requests out like to Jeff Marlett and the likes and I mean it would be interesting they'll say they probably can't say too much just now and the other threat that's out there which was reported I think just yesterday and I was quite stunned by this the CBA has not actually been ratified yet so the the murmurs were, if the players say, no, we don't agree to these pay cuts, then oh. the owners could say, we're not going to sign the CBA they're and then lock them. the players out. Oh, wow. And then wow. they get nothing. They they, they could not. The, the owners could not afford that egg on their face, surely. I, I don't know. I would not put it past them. Oh, I, would, I wouldn't put it past them. I, I would be, like, if that happens, my disgust would seriously make me... I would have to have serious thoughts about whether I could support a league if they did something like that. I might not come to that. I mean, that's worst case scenario. But the fact that that's even out there, it's like a threat to the players of, well, if you don't agree to this, you're going to get nothing. You better to take your 50% that we'll give you or you get nothing. And that's just shocking. That's terrible. If if that is true, that is that, that... Well, I mean, it does seem true that the CBA hasn't been ratified. Oh, which, no, 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 sorry, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, the question then is, wh- why? We're, we're, we're into mid-April. It was signed off in February. Why has it not been ratified? I mean, that... Well, they, they, need to, they need the players to vote, which surely you would have think they could have done in yeah. pre-season or, the, you know, the first week of the season. ESPN had reached out to the MLSPA about the conference call and they refused to comment just now. So, I mean, this could play and play over the the coming weeks. I mean, hopefully, there's going to be some kind of games this season. It's not going to be with fans. I mean, that is almost 100% certain. There's no way fans are going to be at games, which... Well, well, here in BC, they've they've said, like, this summer, there will be no, like, large gatherings, right? So no P&E, no Pride. And I think it was the... Dr. Henry, I think, has said that already, basically, in response to... Yeah, I think the the mayor of LA said he doesn't expect fans at sporting events till twenty twenty one. 
And the uh, California governor had also just said in general for the state that that would be the case. Now, some states probably will get fans in because some states are going to open up way sooner than others. Whether they should or not, that would be a whole other program we could go into. But They might initially, but... Yeah, well, yeah, and then see what happens. And then no one will be going to anything for a while. But, I mean, if there are some games and players will get somewhere then between their 50 and 100%, because obviously there's no gate income, and MLS is a, a rare league, I guess, in terms of world football, that re- top league that relies so heavily on gates uh, as part of their funding structure. And that then also begs the question, and we've talked a little bit about this before, clubs are still, not all clubs, but clubs are still taking season ticket payments. And talked about this with a couple of folk on Twitter this week, the Whitecaps, if you get in touch with them, they will put a hold on your payment, I I, I believe. So you, you can get in touch with them and say, I'd like a hold on my payment. But this money that's been taken, you then have to ask, will that get refunded? Probably not. Is it then going to get carried over into next year? Probably yes. One fan said to me, well, if my money gets carried over, I'd be looking for interest on that. I'm not giving the Whitecaps an interest-free loan. And, I mean, it, it opens up all these things, like when would a refund take place? Will there be refunds? Will they carry it over? Legally, can they keep that money for something they haven't given people? Well, they, they, they can. Uh, I, I do know from dealing with them on some of these kinds of things in the past, when they, when they owe you money, they really don't want to pay people money. They really do not want money going out. Like just in in general, yeah. Um, they they uh, they will do all they can to encourage people to have it as a credit on their account, which will will not gain interest. Yeah, um, for for sure, unless they want to do something, unless they give everyone like kind of like a you know a bump or a bonus or uh, um, you know a, um, a percentage off you know the, the the season when they come back, whatever kind yeah. of you know, a bigger percentage off. Well, they'll, they'll probably put the prices up next year. Put the prices up next year and say, well, we'll give you 2020 prices. That, that's one way around it. And to play devil's advocate for a minute, the airlines are actually doing that as well. They're, as you, Well, you know, because you, you had your, your cruise cancelled. It's like you're, you don't get a refund, you're getting a credit. Yeah, yeah. Which There's all kinds of like, how, how will this... Once things get back to more of a uh, society, back to the way it was, how will all of these things play out? How will yeah. all of them work? And well, I mean, it, you're in uncharted territory. And it's like, I do feel sorry for businesses, especially small businesses, because so many of our favorite businesses may not be here by this time next year. But I mean, things like the Whitecaps, this is something like for all the planning you can do, you haven't planned for anything like this. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously. But then that's just a two-week tournament. This is something that goes on for nine months, a whole season. And part of the problem is the league not saying, okay, we still hope to be playing games. We still hope to be playing 34 games. And not saying, if we do play, it's not going to be in front of fans. So, But then, I don't know. It's like there's a lot of headaches ahead for, for clubs. And if the cash flow at clubs, like taking the whole owner thing out of it, 
if cash flow at clubs is so determined on payments like this and sponsor money, because of course you might have to be refunding some of that, this could be very, very testing for a number of teams. And the owners will have to dig into their their big pyramid scheme pot. Yep. And it's not just MLS it's affecting, it's Canadian Premier League as well. So, I mean, just to, to round off this section with yeah. turning attention to closer to home and, well, a dramatic week in the CPL, and they haven't even played a game so far this season. First of all, it was announced that there was a... Well, I can't remember what was announced first now, but basically the two big stories coming out was the Canadian players. It's been in the work for a while. They've set up their, their union, PFA Can, and it's long overdue. It's something we talked about in the show last year. Was there one? There should be one, and, and the need for one, and now there is one. And it's the president is a, a guy we know very well, Marcel de Jong, probably the, the most experienced player that is in the Canadian Premier League, and I think the ideal person to, to be the figurehead for that. Yeah. Um, we'll come to that in a sec. And the other news coming out, coincidentally, is that players have been asked to take a 25% deferment of their salaries, at least for now. And, I mean, who knows what happens if there's not even going to be a season. And we talked about a lot of the salaries in MLS aren't much. Compared to CPL, the, the salaries in MLS are massive because there's players in CPL that are on less than 30000 a year. And of course, folk won't know that because they don't have to announce what the salaries are publicly like MLS because there has been no players union. And folk might think, oh, the salaries are, are going to be equivalent to MLS. No. No, no, there's a few guys that will be on decent salaries, but there's so many guys on 30,000 and less. And the, yeah. the college guys, for example, I, I mean, I've, I've spoken to players that they, they've told me what their salaries have been. And I'm like stunned at, yeah. at what, what they are. And it's like, how on earth can you live on that? That's how bad the salaries are. I've spoken to Canadian players that's been playing in USL about what their salaries are and what they were offered to play USL teams. And it's like, that's crazy. You can't live on that unless you're getting free accommodation thrown in. So, I mean, these players aren't playing a lot of money or aren't getting paid a lot of money. So I think they need... Uh, a players' union more than ever right now, Zach. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I heard about this a number of months ago. Uh, there was, uh, let's say, uh, an individual, a third part, let's say, a third party individual who was trying to connect with some of the supporters on this union to have them come out and the supporters come out and be supportive of the players, which the supporters were chose not to engage with that third party for the most part because it was kind of like if our players want us them in something they'll talk to us and yeah we'll, we'll, we'll go from there but uh, yeah, uh, well of course yeah, just, unions are a bit a of a while. yeah unions are a bit of a touchy subject uh, as well for for some people but i mean this isn't to cause problems or demand big money it's like they just want a voice in in the league yeah and yeah and protection you want to you want an organization to look after you and make sure that things are going to you know you know be there for you in in difficult situations which you know, this is a difficult situation. And so for them, there's probably some, they probably all, the players probably mostly all feel better that, uh, that they have, uh, they have someone who's supporting them in the midst of these difficult conversations that need to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's the ideal time for it to come out as well. I'm surprised there wasn't one. And 
there, there's been some some murmurs that the players are not going... They've, they've got to a certain date to agree to this deferment. And a few of the players are saying, no, we won't. And if they don't agree to it, what happens next? And th- there's been some tweets gone out. I, I believe we were just talking about this before we started recording that he's walked it back a bit. But Paul Byrne, who was one of the head honchos in the CPL last year uh, before stepping down and moving on to new projects at the end of the year, had said that the players basically needed to be careful because just now they were the subject of some philanthropy from the league and the owners. And he has walked that back. He said he was wrong to say that. In reply to a a tweet that squad player Russell Bareford had said, saying that he felt Paul Byrne's tone in his tweet was kind of worse than the initial message. Paul Byrne did retweet that and say, yep, uh, the tone was lost. I was just trying to reply to Kurt Larson about something and I didn't mean it in the way that it came out. So, I mean, that that was good as well. But, I mean, you wonder, is that a prevalent view amongst some of the, the owners and the big wigs of the CPL? And, I mean, yes, in a, in a way players are benefiting from owners putting their hands in their pocket having teams probably not making money for a good five or ten years but at the same time this is a league launched by the Canadian Soccer Association whose job it is is to provide opportunities for Canadian players develop the Canadian game and make all of Canada's soccer system better so that's not philanthropy that's their job yeah, yeah, this is a difficult one. You know, we just talked about MLS, and these are two very, very different beasts, right? You have this league that's been around for 25 years, which obviously doesn't compare to football around the world or the American sports uh, establishment, um, but it does have things like expansion fees that are in the hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. that are coming into them or have come into them in these last few years that make it hard for you to feel any sympathy for owners who might have to uh, cover more expenditures this year with little to no revenue. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to feel sorry for them or feel yeah. any, you know, anything for them. Um, whereas the Canadian Premier League is a brand new, it's a brand new league. And the, the owners are, some of them are, you know, are fairly well off, but they're, they're not all like, you know, these are not billionaires yeah. that you're dealing with here. They're millionaires or, you know, tens of millionaires or whatever the, whatever the language is for that. But um, but there's also a vast difference between some of them as well. Some are a lot more well-off than others. Yeah, totally. And so you... Yeah, so you, I, I feel for them. I, I You know, and because this is a Canadian-only thing... My understanding is, uh, I heard this recently, so apologies if I'm spreading misinformation or bad information, but my understanding is that when it comes to businesses in Canada, if you can prove that you have, uh, if you can prove that your business has lost greater than 30% of its revenue from the previous year or from whatever, that that's how you can get that, that subsidy that like covers like yeah. 75% of your employees' wages or whatever. Um, so part of me hopes, and, and so part of me actually wonders if that's what's going on here. If, 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 if this 25% deferral is is the other 25%, they're saying, "Hey, we're going to get this government money, so you're going to be covered for that." We just want some deferral yeah. on, on this 25% because they don't, 
it's not like these clubs have a lot of cash in hand. No, right? and they they do rely on gates and ticket sales and merchandise sales and sponsors and, and stuff like that. And we should stress they are just looking for deferment. It's not what MLS are doing and saying that they're wanting to cut the salaries. Yeah. The players would hopefully get this if there's a season or if they do qualify for government subsidies. But it's just, it's not ideal if we're going to be in year two and have the players and the owners already at, at loggerheads over this, over there being a union. It's just... The- and, yeah, and, and again, just to talk about the difference, right? Like, my, so this is my understanding. This, these are not official. I don't think this was ever made official. But my understanding is, like, the CPL wage budget or cap or whatever language you want to use to describe it for players is like a TAM player in MLS, right? Like yeah. my understanding is it's $750,000 roughly for the player roster and like $1.25 million for like uh, including your coaches and backroom staff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I had so, something similar, yeah. Yeah. So that's like one, one MLS TAM player or, or yeah. Yeah, one MLS TAM player go to 1.5 so so the 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 amount is 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 less but again the pockets the pockets of the owners are not nearly as deep yeah i mean this is something i'm sure we'll talk in a lot more detail in in the coming weeks and months cpl and mls because as i said it's uncharted territory we're going into a lot of stuff we don't know what's going to happen and we're certainly going to delve a lot more into the players union aspect in the the next couple of weeks so We've got some interesting stuff lined up about that. That is it for for this part of the show. Um, Zach will be joining us again in part five to talk about some other stories from around the world and here in North America as well. But we will be back with our first interview of the evening with new Whitecaps player, Janio Bikel. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was our Artist of the Month for April, Art Brute, with a song from their third album, Art Brute vs. Satan, from 2009. DC Comics and a Chocolate Milkshake, a song we've used before in the show when we play DC United and bring some audio from those games. 
And there's going to be a lot of people out there just now that just can't wait to, to get back out to normality. Have some milkshakes, sitting in a nice little cafe, browse in some comic shops and pick up their favourite comics. Soon. Hopefully soon. But not too soon. We don't want to rush back to this and come back before we're ready. Everyone just needs to keep doing what they're doing. Keep flattening the curve. Staying safe. Staying healthy. And the sooner we can all do this, the sooner we will get back to, to doing these normal things. And it's tough times for, for everyone just now. And can you imagine what it would be like if you had just moved to the country? If you had just come to Vancouver, never been here before, all of a sudden you're in lockdown. Well, that's what it's been like for three of the Vancouver Whitecaps players, three of their new signings for this year. One of them being 24-year-old midfielder Janio Bikel. Now, Bikel was officially announced as a Whitecaps signing the day before the 2020 season got underway on February 28th. Arrived in Vancouver that Saturday, took in the first game at BC Place that lost to Sporting Kansas City. And he wasn't really expected to, to possibly be playing for a couple of weeks, maybe to, to get his match fitness up to speed. He was coming off a, a season over in Bulgaria with CSKA Sofia. So, I mean, he was fairly fit, but obviously he had to get used to his teammates and just get used to the environment and the league he's in, just get up to the fitness levels of the squad. But a late injury to Jake Nerwinski before the LA Galaxy game meant that the defensive midfielder was forced into action into the position that he classes as his second best position right back. And what a debut that was down in Carson, California. Helping the Whitecaps along the way to a stunning 1-0 victory over the Galaxy. Putting in a really good shift, certainly did not look out of place on the pitch. You would not know he had just joined the team the week before and had just met his teammates that week. It was certainly one of the exciting aspects of the first two games that, that we saw from the Whitecaps in, in 2020. When we did our kind of jokey end-of-season roundup after that second game, we, we had Bikel down as being our newcomer of the year. And the, the flashes that he showed in right-back position made you think, wow, he could play right-back. I can't wait to see what he does in his natural position as a defensive midfielder. And looking at his highlight reel, he looks a very exciting proposition. He's a guy that's got a lot of experience. He's played for Portugal as well, under 20 and under 19 level, including at the 2015 FIFA World Cup down in New Zealand. He's played his club football in Holland, in Bulgaria, and now in Canada. And his, his whole footballing journey, is, it's just its so interesting. Born in Bissau in Guinea-Bissau, he sadly lost his father at the age of 11, lost his mum a couple of years later as well, was taken over to Europe by a soccer agent, initially to Portugal, because Guinea-Bissau was a, a Portuguese colony until they declared independence in 1973. That agent took him to Portugal, got him trials in Spain, a, a number of top Spanish clubs were interested, but the, the deals just never happened and he ended up going back to Portugal. Then made the move to Holland, impressed in Holland, stayed there for a number of years before kind of losing his starting place, being in and out of the team, coming to the end of his contract and then making the move over to CSKA Sofia. He's now here in Vancouver. We're delighted to have him here. Really can't wait to see what it's like for him on the pitch. But he's one of these guys that has just moved here, found himself locked down right away before he even gets to know the city, his teammates and everything. It's a very difficult situation for him. But he always has a smile on his face. 
And I got a chance to, to chat with Janio this week just about his journey to MLS and a lot more besides. So let's bring you that now. I just kind of wanted to catch up with you and just ask you a couple of things just about your your journey to MLS. So, I mean, first first thing to ask you, I, I guess, is really like during this time with uh, everything being shut down, you're not able to play. I mean, you're, you're just new to the city, you're new to the country. How, how difficult has it been for you to uh, adjust to all this? Because, I mean, you're, you're still getting to know your teammates and you're still new to the city. Has it been quite hard? Yeah, it's, it's been very hard because... Uh... I had almost only maybe two weeks with uh, almost two weeks with my teammates to get to know them. So it's been very hard. And after the, all this and everything with shut down, you know, it's very, very hard. But uh, at this time, I'm trying to do what I can, you know, because it's, you can do so much. Talk with family. And also, we had uh, these uh, schedules. We do our program at home also go outside for running but this is yeah yeah it's been uh i'm, I'm uh, still uh, healthy that's the most important so i'm doing okay coming to major league soccer what was behind your decision to come here because i know you've you've played in holland you're playing in bulgaria and i mean you're very well traveled was it just the chance to have kind of a new adventure or is it a chance to kind of put yourself in the shop window and maybe use the white caps as a springboard to to a bigger move. Yeah, this is a chance to put myself also on the uh, build because we know as uh, MLS is still uh, is is going every year is going fast. Many players come here also they go to Europe, you know. And I think the level for me is different than in where I was playing in Bulgaria. So when this, when they, they told me about this, I said right away I wanted to go there. I wanted to join this team. So to see a new experience, you know, I want this also. So this this decision was easy <laughs> to make for me. And at least you managed to get your first game played before the, the shutdown. I mean, and it was a big game. You're you're going up against like a, a big star in the world in Chicharito and a big team in LA Galaxy. H- how did you find that that whole experience? And I mean, you looked very comfortable and very settled right away out there with the team. Yeah, because uh, you know it was I was not gonna play in that day or from that week. Yeah, but maybe for um, yeah, not the full game, but maybe last ten or twenty minutes. So yeah, maybe I could play. But they told me, hey, this is uh, this is the chance for you, you know. And they saw me some video, you know, just to get to know how the team play, you know, our team. They show me the video and this, and also they show me uh, we talk about the opponent. We talk about them and they show me some videos. So I say, okay. And then they told me, okay. I say, okay, it's okay. I can go. And uh, yeah, this is just a normal game. So 
Yeah. Normally I'm very calm, so I do my thing. As I can do it. I've had a look like into your your career, and I I read some some interviews and watched some videos with you that that you've done at your various clubs. So I mean, can I going back right to the start? I mean, you were born obviously in in Guinea Bissau. Um, and yeah. what what was it like growing up there? When when did you first start playing football, and when did you know that you wanted to be a, a professional footballer? You know, I was born in in our neighborhood. It's like uh, you know, we have also these uh, all the old people. They was they love to play football. So I grew up just playing since a kid. You know, playing with friends everywhere. Then uh, they. My uh, yeah, it's like a friend of my uh, brother. He told me it's good if I bring you to the academy, you know. So the fo- football academy. So I was there. They brought me there. Then you know, they say okay, one of the best players have to. They're gonna have a chance to go to Europe, you know, to play there. So I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, great. I, I mean, how how old were you when you first went to Europe? And and did you did you go to Portugal or did you end up going to Spain? Yes, I went to Portugal. I was like uh, fifteen, you know. I was fifteen, fifteen to sixteen. I was there, and I went to Portugal, and went to do like tests in uh, Spain, in right. Valencia, in a small small club called Tor Levante. You know, so the, I was there to do test, you know, so the big clubs, they come to, to see, you know, they call the clubs to come to, to see if they have interest. So I, they, after that, it was like a two, two weeks tournament. And after they have, they have some, uh, you know, some interest from the club, like uh, Malaga, Valencia, Villarreal also. And uh, yeah, we did in, you know, my agent. I don't know what happened, but the, the, they didn't agree, you know, with the, with the deal. So I went back to, to Portugal again, then trained there. And after the, you know, I went after the, the I flew to Holland. Yeah. As a test, test player also. So I say, okay, if you do well, you're going to stay for. One week. If we like you, you will stay for, you know, we'll give you a contact. That's what happened. So I was there for six and a half years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Go, going to to Holland, when, when you were at Heerenveen, I know Marco van Basten was the first team coach for a, oh. a little bit of that. How, how did it feel like being involved? Did you have much involvement with someone like that? He's such a legend of the world game. Yes, I mean, because I was there, he was, uh, yeah, right, first team, uh, first team coach, and we were like a young player, and after we have also some, uh, because we was playing, then he saw me, he saw me, then he asked, uh, he called me to, to train with the first team, uh, the feeling was amazing, I couldn't believe that, so this is Marco Van Basten, you know. Yeah, and we start because we uh, supposed to go to to training camp with the team in Portugal, and I had that injury there at, at, at that moment, so I couldn't go. 
but he was amazing, you know. He's a he's a he's a legend, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, I had also conversation with him. And also when I was in Joey, come talk to me this thing. It was amazing. The feelings, yeah. Was, you, you you were here in Vien for a few years, and you ended up going to NEC. And I, I see that you had yeah. like four different managers at that time. That must have been a very unusual and kind of unsettling time there. In uh, NSA. Yeah, NSA, because four managers in yeah, four yeah. years is a lot. Yeah, yeah. In three years, four managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lot. Yeah, it was good. At first years, I uh, came there. And also we, we were playing, you know, first division, first year. It was good. We had a very, very, very interesting team, you know. So make sure that, uh, yeah, we had a very good team at the moment. And the season was good. Played very well almost all, maybe I missed four games also in all season. Then, I mean, ending up in Bulgaria, what what? took you there of all places and I know you were you'd kind of gone in and out of the first team mix at, at NAC but I mean how was it just that you wanted to to get more regular first team football yes also because I was there in uh, my third year in uh, NSA I was not playing like a regular in uh, second division I say no this is impossible I was playing in the first division almost Two years, so many games in the first division, as second division. Maybe it's not for me. I have to go back, you know, to try to find something to play in the first division. And my my contract was also, you know, ending in, uh, in that uh, time. So I say, okay, it's better for me to go somewhere else also. And then we saw this, uh, you know, offer from uh, Bulgaria. I say, okay, I have to go there. You know, I, I think I was thinking it's better if I stay in the first division for the picture, you know, so on the build to stay on the build. So many clubs, they can see you when it's watching the, the, the games. So that was my decision before that. And I know you played some Europa League football qualifiers as well with Sofia. So, I mean, you, you've had a lot of experience playing at, at different grounds and hostile grounds and... I know Bulgarian football as well, it can be quite hostile there. Of all the places that you've played, what what's kind of been your favourite place to go and play at? Uh, to go and play, like, you know, in, or where I played. Uh, but, but both, really. It's like, because uh, you, you obviously you played some games in Europe and in different countries yeah. as well, yeah. I mean, what, what country have you enjoyed playing in the most? In the most? I was saying uh, England. I mean, you also, 2015, uh, you were down in New Zealand for the, the FIFA Under-20 World Cup as well with Portugal. How was that whole experience? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, what what was that like playing for, for your country in a World Cup? Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's also in, a, in another continent. It was, you know... Also, like here, the time difference was... It was something like this. And when I want to talk to family, then they were sleeping. They could watch the game, but the experience with, uh, you know, we had also a great team with Portugal. Yeah, it was good. Good experience. Another culture there, so, yeah, it was good for me. 
would you would you say that I, that was possibly like the highlight of your career so far? Yeah, I can I can say that, but no, but yeah, the experience was good, but that is not so far my uh, highlight. So far, it was the where well, it was in uh, Holland with with uh, NAC. NSA, yes. Yeah. Cool. And I mean, you, you talked about your, your family there. I'd, I'd read that um, you lost your dad at an early age and your mum as well. Yeah. You, you've got a brother and sister still in Guinea-Bissau, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, do, do you get to keep in touch with them much? Do you think they might come over yes. and see you play over here at some point? Yeah, I would like that. I would like that. But we, you know, we have uh, contact. Almost every week we, we talk also at this time we keep in touch. Yeah. How how's the coronavirus situation there? I know they were one of the last countries to actually get infected by it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a few cases but uh, you know they are doing also the following this uh, they are following the, the what the experience say about this, you know. Yeah. Social distance also because they are doing also the that same. Last two things for you. Obviously, you've travelled so much, and I know that you you obviously speak English and you speak Portuguese and Spanish, and I've seen you do an interview in Dutch. How many languages do you actually speak? Ah, uh, five. Oh wow. Yeah, five. That's fantastic. Uh, my uh, own language is uh, Creole. Okay. Creole, so. And just the last thing to ask you, Janio, what's what are you yeah. most looking forward to doing once all the lockdowns lifted here? What's the first thing you're really looking forward to getting out and doing? I can't wait to go back on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go back. I really miss it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really do miss it. It's been like how many days without football, you know? Yeah, so over a month now. Yeah, it's too long. Yeah, I can't wait to go back on the pitch, do what I, you know, what I love. Well, that's great. I and can't... also to go to go outside to feel like now I'm free, you know, I can do what I want. I'm safe now. Everything, you know. Yeah, go and explore the city. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the weather's getting nicer, so hopefully you'll get a chance to do that soon. Thanks so much for your time today, Janio, and look forward to seeing you back on the pitch soon. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Yeah. You too. Thanks, Janio. Janio Bikel there. Can't wait to see him back on the pitch soon. He certainly can't wait to be back on that pitch. When that will be, that's anyone's guess right now. Hopefully there isn't anything like a player lockout coming because the owners are acting like dicks as we we discussed in the first part of the show there. But one thing we do have to say is the Whitecaps have been really good looking after their players in this time. Guys like Janio as well because a number of the team know that they're new to the city, they're checking in on them all the time, the Whitecaps are checking in the time, making sure they've got everything they need, make sure they understand how things work here, do with healthcare and all the government regulations, everything like that. So they have been getting taken good care of. I'm sure some of them are going a little bit stir-crazy just now and just can't wait to to get back amongst what they know best and what they love doing, which is, is playing football. 
So fingers crossed that things can get better to an extent that at least something happens this season for them. But that is it for this part of the show. We're going to be back after the break with this week's Wavelength and our second interview of the episode with a goal-scoring machine that is Freddie Effing Montero. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. Kids and a faithful wife Cocaine bars is Lindsay like Looking in the mirror like that's life But Gyro's gone and one mad night Didn't plan it out and there go the lights No lecky, but bought some baby Sitting alone waiting for mates to text you Fearing the news, fame on the telly Rage at machines but do what they tell you So, back on the bevy When shouting a lot is a silent help me Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show and continuing my desire to bring you Scottish rap and hip-hop whether you want to hear it or not. That was this week's contribution from 2017 by an artist we've played several times on the show before, Word SOS. SOS standing for his record label as well, Sons of Scotland. There was a song called On The Rocks featuring the wonderful haunting vocals of another Scottish singer, Kirsty Innes. Hope you enjoyed that one. Check out all of Weird's stuff on Bandcamp and he's got a new album coming out this year as well. I'd always like to bring you a little bit of variation from the, the Edinburgh hip-hop rap scene just to, to show you the different sounds that it can have. In saying that, we'll probably be back to Mad Hat McGore next week. Another regular on the show. And you know what else is a regular on the show? Wavelength. And if you're a new listener to the show, just to explain, Wavelength is our part of the show where we play you a song by a band about football. Could be about a footballer, could be about a team, could just be about the game itself. Sometimes we we feature songs by footballers, sometimes we feature songs from football teams. FA Cup singles, World Cup singles, things like that. This week we're going back to 2012, and a song from English singer-songwriter Frank Hamilton, the London-based indie star had a project in 2012 where he, he did a, a song a week. 52 songs over the year released. A very prolific project. A best of which was released as an album as well. Now, one of those songs in 2012 was called Football. 
and it was a collaboration with the London grime artist Lyricis. I thought that was a good song to pick for this week because Janiel Bikel said he just wants to play football. I want to play football. Everyone wants to play football. And so does Frank Hamilton. This is football. I want to play football. I want to play football. All the money in the world. All the goals and all the girls. I want to play football. I want to play football. Because I can run, run away from anything. I can kick, I kick off when I'm drunk I can chip, I chip away at lots of things Use my head to take on anyone I wanna play football, I wanna play football All the money in the world, all the girls and all the girls I wanna play football, I wanna play football Nah, 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 nah I can pass, pass the buck to anyone I can shout, the loudest in the ground I'm on side, even when the game is done I can shoot, but I won't shoot you down I wanna play football, I wanna play football All the money in the world, all the girls and all the girls I wanna play football, yeah, yeah. I wanna play football yeah. uh, The ironical thing about this is I used to play football as a little kid True story, my glory I remember this one chick named Doreen I used to train on a Friday night And meet her after practice for a Friday pint Remember when we used to travel to the Isle of Wight And reminisce we got married, walked down the aisle Like, I don't deserve her, Lord help me I wonder if Arsenal beat Chelsea This must be a fake ass dream Cause it seems my dream girl's in a fashion magazine All the roads to riches and diamond rings Won't bring my girl back, that's the funniest thing And I was never good enough Wasn't the type of lad that was good with trust, so I was never good enough. 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 I was never good. I was good good enough. Nah. I was never good enough. 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 I was never good. I was good. Yeah. I wanna play football. I wanna play football. I wanna play football. I said I wanna play football. Money in the world. All the money in the world. All the girls and all the girls and the girls. I wanna play football. Yeah. I wanna play football. London singer-songwriter Frank Hamilton there with a song from 2012 and his One Song a Week project. That was football. Hope you enjoyed that. A little bit more mellow than our usual punk songs that we feature in, in the Wavelength section. And I've got another nice mellow melodic song coming up in next week's show. But now let's get back to the actual football chat. 
And it's the latest in our feature that I really enjoy doing. Our in-depth sit-down interview with Whitecaps players about their careers. Looking at their career highlights, their debuts, their first memories of the game, their first goals, their first professional goal. This time's allowed us to to sit down with a a couple of the guys to to have these chats. And this week, it's the turn of Colombian striker Freddy Effin Montero. As we look back on Freddie's career with him, starting off on Colombia, making the move to MLS with Seattle, went over to Europe to play for Sporting Lisbon, went to China, came to Vancouver, went back to Lisbon, and now back here in Canada with Vancouver. What have been his highlights? What are his favourite memories? And what does the future hold in store? We're going to discuss all that and more over the next two parts of the show. So sit back, grab your favourite hot beverage... Obviously it should be a Santo coffee. Open your new pack of chocolate digestives and listen to Freddy Montero's Football Firsts. You've had such an interesting and and varied career in football. I mean, go, going way way back to to the very beginning, like what what are your first memories of of playing football in in Colombia? And did, when did you know that you wanted to be a a professional footballer? And like when when did you start playing? Did you did you go to many games as a fan? Well, I remember um, I used to play just for fun uh, when I was. 10, 11, 12, it was super fun for me just to get together with my friends from the soccer academy, you know, play some tournaments for goals and win some trophies. But then at the age of 13, uh, it was a scout from Deportivo Cali that was talking to my parents. And and, uh, right after that conversation that they had, I asked my parents, well, what was that about? And they say, oh, they, they would like you to go to Cali to, you know, join uh, the Portillo Cali Academy. And uh, and I realized that they were serious after, you know, the other phone calls that I, I sneak <laughs> and I listened to them when they were talking. Um, and yeah, and I would say that at that moment, I realized that I was going to pursue my I know, like when you're with Cali to start with, you you got loaned out initially, like a lot of young guys do, to like Academia and Atletica Julia or Hula or something. <laughs> My pronunciation is going to be terrible during this, but what do you remember of like your very first game as a professional footballer? My very first game, I remember that uh, in Colombia. In those days, we have like a, a regulation for every single professional team that they they were forced to play two young players under twenty and yeah under twenty years old. So oh. every single player, every single team had to uh, like do that. So I the last game of of the season in two thousand six, I believe so. Um, no, 2005, I think. The, 
Deportivo Cali was already uh, out of, of the competition for the playoffs. So the last game was, you know, just to play for, for the calendar. That's it. And that didn't have any meaning. I think I got the opportunity. It was more like a, like a reward because uh, on my um, I was playing for the under-20 uh, squad. And I was the goal scorer in that tournament. I was the best player of that tournament. So I got a reward of the last game of the professional soccer uh, league to play. And I remember I only played 45 minutes, the first 45. Uh, I was running opposite of the ball. But the ball was going to the left, and I tried to, you know, uh, just hide behind the defenders. Because I was so afraid to touch the ball. And, <laughs> and yeah, and... It was happening. I was already playing professional football, which I was expecting to happen that soon. And, I mean, you did so well at Cali and you really impressed there. And I saw you getting called up to Colombia's national team for a, for a few games. And you, you made your debut in a friendly, a, a 4 0 win over Panama on May 9th, 2007, coming on as a late sub. I mean, what, I mean, what do you remember of that game and, like, how, what did it mean to you to be representing your country? Yeah, so that was a, an amazing feeling. I was the top scorer in the Colombia uh, professional league and I got called to national team at the age of 19, which I never was part of uh, any other uh, Colombia national team, like under 20, under 17, under 15. Nothing, uh, and I, ha- I was blessed enough to just go directly to the um, main national team, <coughs> Colombia, uh, the first squad. And <coughs> for me, it was a, a dream come true. Uh, I still keep that jersey at my my parents' house because it, it was like a game changer for me. I mean, you made, a, I think, four or five appearances for Colombia. C- considering how well you've done in your career at Seattle and over in, at Sporting, were you surprised that you didn't get more caps for the national team? Yeah, I made four and I scored one goal. I remember playing in Catalonia again. Uh, Catalonia national team. Uh, and I scored my first and only goal for, for Colombia. And uh, after my move to to the MLS, um, I remember all the news and all the journalists back in Colombia. They were saying that MLS didn't have a level. You know, it wasn't competitive enough uh. to for me to be a part of of the national team, uh, where where Colombia has players in Mexico, Argentina, Europe in those days, and and I simply. Um, give up my, my dreams of playing uh, for Colombia national team because I signed a contract uh, with MLS. And it was, obviously for me, was disappointed because as a soccer player, you know, uh, you come to MLS and you, you think uh, that that's not real. Um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, I would say that was the reason that I didn't get to go back to the national thing anymore. I know when you signed for Seattle, there was lots of talk at the time that there was a possible clubs in Europe that were interested in you and various things like that. What made you decide to, to come to 
MLS in the end? In the end, I remember meeting uh, Seattle Sounders at Hanover and uh, you're honest, obviously, and, and I knew that, that they were 100% supporting the, the, the move. Uh, while I have another offer, but uh, they were just rumors. We didn't have anything on paper. And the club decided, you know, this is this is good for us. This is good for you, Freddie. And and yeah, let's go ahead and, and find it. And and I, back in the day, I didn't have you know that much saying. I just signed the contract and and we made the move. And I mean, it couldn't have got off to, to a better start. Scoring the Sounders' first ever goal in in MLS, and you got two goals and an assist in that first ever match in, in the three 0 win over Red Bulls. But when you look back at that time, I mean, that that's something you, you you've gone down in the club's folklore. It's like there'll never ever be another player that scored a first MLS goal for the team than you. When you look back at that day in particular, what what's your memories of that? All these years later, we we were like two months doing the preseason. A uh, bunch of new players, obviously, didn't speak the language, they understand the language. But we have many other players that were helping us, and coaches that, that they were bilingual and they were helping us. And playing those friendly games were like nothing compared with with the first game. Just walking into the field listening to the American anthem, you know, all the fireworks, people making a lot of noises. It was like a, I would say, like a, a dream come true. I, I wanted to play outside of Colombia, and, and that was the day. I was looking at your, your record. You seem to, like, you, you've scored so many times in your debut. You scored for your debut for Seattle. You scored for your debut when you went back to Colombia with Milanarios, and then... You scored in your debut for, for Sporting as well. And what is it about those debut games that seems to bring the best out of you? Uh, yeah, and I, and I scored both here in Vancouver when, when I had my debut as well. Um, no, I would say I'm blessed. God is always taking care of me. Uh, I would say that I'm being honest in every single team that I, I go to play. I give my, my best. The season and then when, when the official game is, is going to be played, I am ready. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a. Uh, if you ask every single soccer player if they want to score in the debut, 99% of them they will say yes. And I had that opportunity. It happened to me in North America, in Europe, you know, in Canada, in South America. So it's Now, when you left Seattle, you you went back to Colombia briefly with Milanarios in, in 2013 before making the move in the summer to Sporting. Were you always expecting to make that move to Europe or did you want to see if you wanted to go back and play in Colombia full-time? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, uh, on my mind to, to move to Europe. But uh, uh, before that, I had a good opportunity to play Copa Libertadores which is the most difficult and international tournament in South America. And after Champions League, I would say that 
that's the tournament I have most in in soccer uh, and on club level, obviously. And uh, yeah, I, I use that move to, to play, enjoy, and be able to uh, compete at, at the highest level in South America. And then I have the that contract on my on my hand to sign with Sporting, which is uh, I would say that. All these years in Seattle, all these years in Colombia, I was getting prepared to finally jump uh, the ocean and go to play in Europe. Good stuff from Freddie there. We'll be back talking about the latter part of his career so far, including his time here in Vancouver and what the future could hold in store. That's coming up in the next part, and we'll be back with that right after this. Hi, I'm Marcel de Jong, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was Colombian Necktie from Illinois hardcore punk band Big Black from the 1987 album Songs About... Let's, let's go with fornicating, but it's actually another F word, but I don't want to have to mark this whole episode explicit just for saying that. Played that song a couple of times before, usually as an introduction to when we're chatting to Freddie Montero, so I thought why not play a little extended version of it as we bring you back to part four and the second part of our sit-down chat with Freddie Montero. So we finished part one there, Freddie, just talking about the the move to Europe. So that happened in the summer of 2013, initially still on loan from Seattle Sounders, heading over to Portugal to sport in Lisbon. And it was a, a fantastic debut. August 18th, 2013, you got a hat-trick and a 5-1 win over Aruca. Um, I mean, it was a dream start for you. When, when you look back to making that adjustment, to European football, did you find it quite easy? And what do you remember of that first game? First game, I remember uh, we started losing 1-0. Uh, the coach made a substitution at 20 minutes, and every, everybody started panicking. 
including me. I I say, well, uh, I can't believe that this is happening. This is Europe. You know, it doesn't matter what what player you are. They, the first substitution was our guy that was wearing the number ten jersey. So imagine that. So at twenty minutes, we were losing one zero. Uh, that was a message from the coach that we we have to you know keep pushing and and step up in the game. And then I scored the one one. And uh, luckily for us, we start uh, playing good. But ending the game with three goals, it was a whole other level. I would say uh, I was, you know, talking to my teammates right after. Everybody was uh, congratulating me. But honestly, I I would say that that, that was something that only was something that came from. From having because I wasn't expecting three goals. As, as I say before, any soccer player would like a debut with a goal or an assist at least. But scoring three goals, I want on another level. And a couple of weeks after your debut there as well, you you scored in your first ever Lisbon derby against Benfica. What were those games like? I mean, you've obviously you've always done well in derby games over here, whether it's Seattle-Portland, whether it's Vancouver against Seattle or Vancouver against Portland. You've always done well in derby games, but how did that atmosphere in Lisbon for that derby compare to any other derby that you've been a part of? Wow. Uh, I would say that's the biggest derby that, that I've been a part uh, in my career. It was one week talking about Benfica and Sporting. It was one week about like the details of the team. It was one week about knowing that the city was going to be or red or green. Especially in Europe, when, when teams are ready to play this game, the fans are ready as well. And they know about the game. They they know when the team is playing good. They know when the team is playing not good. And and for us, was um, a big opportunity to show that this new team, which Sporting has uh, in in that tournament, uh, was ready to fight against you know Benfica, which was the last champion, and Portugal. They were really good teams in Europe, in Champions League. And we were like, you know, uh, young players with, with uh, a lot of energy, hungry of, of showing people that we are um, the same level as, as the Pita and Porto. And yeah, it's, it's the energy from the fans that are, you know, making you run 10, 10% extra and now giving you 100%, but 110. And at the end of the game, we, we ended up missing the three points. Um, in the last five minutes, I believe so, when, when Benfica tied again. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, whenever I've seen any of those games, the atmosphere just, I mean, looks amazing. When you, like, when you left Lisbon and you went to China in 2016, obviously that was a time when the Chinese Super League were, they were splashing a crazy amount of money out on transfer fees and players' wages and everything like that. You, you got nine goals in 30 games there. How how did you find that whole experience? And was, was it the chance to try something different that appealed? I mean, obviously, I, I know money aspect came into it as well, but like the whole experience of playing there, how, how did you find that? 
yeah, China was something special and different. Uh, obviously, uh, as you say, money-wise, it was uh, the best opportunity for me and my family. I yeah. couldn't reject that. But coming from Sporting of Lisbon or Portugal, uh, fighting for the title, fighting for half in the Champions League, uh, in Europe League, and then going to China for a team that is after five games, we were playing for relegation. And then during the whole tournament, we were like last battle on the table, second. And then it was so difficult, the pressure that you feel when you have to play the last game of the season. And if you don't win that game, you're going to go to second division. And then it's going to be a disaster because you are a player that is called, you know, to add to the team. But now uh, I would say that... Uh, we won, we won the last game. We, we um, stayed, all the teams stayed in, in, in the first league. But uh, it was a tough year in, in soccer for me. But uh, outside of the soccer, my family and I enjoyed China as, as we had no idea before. China was special for us. Uh, my, my daughters, they were young and they were in that part of their life where Everything was new and excited for them, and, and the food, you know, Asian food, it was really good for them. And yeah, even though we don't speak the language, we had a really good time outside of the And at, at the end of that season, obviously you came back then in 2017 to MLS with Vancouver. Did you always think you would end up back in Major League Soccer at some point, or did it come as a little bit of a surprise to you? Uh it was like, a, you know what, um, I was in Europe playing high level. It, it was pretty much like every three days we have an, a, a match and we have to get together in a, in the a hotel or the, the a sporting facility. And it was like a, being apart for a while with the family and then going to China, being with the family, but also not, not enjoying 100% uh, that, that level of the game. And then I had a call to go back to MLS, and I say, "Well, that's that's the right time, you know. I was needing this. I, I know MLS. I know in MLS I can enjoy family, I can enjoy uh, the game, and we're gonna be close to our family. So why not? Uh, I'm always looking forward to be uh, close to our family and playing for MLS." Did you have any sort of qualms, though, about joining like one of Seattle's rivals? I, I know you'd been away from Seattle for quite a while by that point, but, I mean, did, did you have at any point any second thoughts of maybe I shouldn't join Vancouver because they're a rival? I know it's different here. The rivalries aren't as crazy. They're not as intense as they are, say, in Europe or, or South America, but did that cross your mind at all? Yeah, at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, of course. And then... Um... Uh, talking to my good friend Mauri Gonzalez, yeah. which, which I have a lot of respect, you know, for his career. He, he, he's been playing high level for many years, and uh, he was playing in Seattle with me. And then he he played as well in Vancouver. So obviously, uh, I got uh, his advice, and uh, and yeah, uh, all my doubts were clear when when after I talked with him. Um, yeah, Vancouver is not a big rival uh, with Seattle as, as it is Portland. And I mean, I, you had the one year here, then end up going back to, to Sporting for, for another year. 
And of course, when you were there in 2018, it was when the, it was that crazy time when the fans stormed the, the training facility. I mean, when you look back on that, a couple of years have passed since then. Does it still seem crazy that that even happened? And I mean, how scary was that? Yeah, it was very scary. It was very scary. Um, as I said before, being able to, to be in peace, to have joy, you know, playing games in MLS. And then uh, at the age of 30, uh, 31, I would say that uh, a top team in Europe is it's, uh, asking you to come back to sign a clear deal. And I say, okay, wow, well, of course. And then suddenly half, half, uh, half of the time, because we didn't, we didn't make a Champions League spot. Uh, the reaction for the fans, you know, coming into the training facility, locking us, locking us into the locker room, you know, throwing these mock bombs. Um, they were covering the, their faces. It was panic. I was running, getting beat. I got beat as well. I got slapped in my face a few wow. times, and I didn't know. I couldn't understand what was happening. Uh, all the were building, uh, like garbage can flying from left to the right. Uh, it, it was like like a battle inside uh, a locker room, which, which uh, for us, uh, it should be, you know, the safest place for a soccer player, I would say, because we go there every day. Yeah. And then, then after that, um, it was all over the news. It was at, you know, international news where, where obviously it wasn't good for, for the game of soccer. And we, we I, I would say like 10 days after we have a final, uh, we, we couldn't train as a team. And then on, on the day of the final, we, we feel these police like around the field, the soccer field, like they were ready to battle and, and it was like, you know, tricky for your mind. You know, you are playing to have fun, but you're in that moment you you think you're playing just to to be alive. You know, if you didn't win that game, something bad was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we didn't win the game. Uh, police scored us out as, as well with the best that they could, and and after that, that's when uh, all the security in your mind or the series start happening and we start thinking if, if that happen again I don't want to be there and after that it, it's always like we were looking to, to get another opportunity and that's when when the two years deal with Vancouver came up and we decided to get it yeah well I mean we're certainly glad that you're here I mean you've still got quite a, a few years of your career left in you what what would you like to achieve in in the last couple of years of your career? What what kind of personal goals do, would you like to achieve? Uh, obviously, I I've been winning titles in, in the teams that uh, I've been playing. Uh, that the teams that play to win, right? Uh, yeah. And that's a sensation that is really good, and that's what I would like to to bring back in my career. Uh, Two years ago, I, I in the sporting locker room, I was the guy with most titles of that jersey, and and that it seems different, you know. Like all the other players, they they look after you because winning is not easy. And yeah, I would like to to win 
trophies in, before I finish my career. And that's something that I, I keep working and thinking and praying And just the very last thing, obviously it's really weird times just now. Everyone's just hoping to, to get back to some kind of normality soon. But for, for someone like yourself and your family, because you've got close connections to Seattle, you've got your business down there, your wife's family's down there. I mean, this must just be a really tough time because you can't get over the border. How, how are you and your family coping with all this just now? Yeah, it's been tough. Uh, business has been closed three weeks now. Uh, it, it's really hard. Um, family is in quarantine in Seattle, talking to them almost daily, knowing that uh, they, are, they are doing really good. Thank God they are safe, they are healthy. And I try to do the same here with my family, uh, my wife and kids, uh, you know, trying to every day find a different activity for, for my girls. Uh, my wife and I, uh, creating more memories together as a parent. Um, never uh, less, uh, I would say that uh, um, physical activity is important, but for us it's, it's about you know being healthy and, and praying that every day uh, those people that go to work they are they are safe and and I don't know sooner they they will find this vaccination that is going to allow us to go back to the normal life. And I mean, if MLS did start and there was like closed doors games and no fans there, as a player, how, how would you feel playing in those kind of situations? Well, I would feel good. Honestly, uh, it's, it's not about... Uh, and, and this is the thing that, that we, we should be more, uh, you know, think about about other people. Uh, that's Stop being selfish. Yes, it may be a little different as, as a professional as a player, but uh, it, it's what we need at this moment. And I'm, I'm here to support, you know, to be a part of the solution and not, and not use that uh, as an excuse and, and, and not move forward from it. But uh, if we have to play with no, with no hands, we know it's going to be just temporary until things get better. That's great. Thanks so much for your time today, Freddie. Hope you and your family continue to stay safe and hopefully we'll get to see you in person on the training pitch soon. Thanks so much. Yeah, hopefully not. Thank you. Stay safe, OK? It was great catching up with Freddie again there. Hope you enjoyed that career retrospective with him. He's had such a, a very career, scored goals everywhere he's went. And I, I still, as I said, I still feel that he can be a guy that can do a job here for Vancouver. And if you've got a season where you're going to be trying to cram in as many games in as short a time as possible, you need to have some depth on that team. And with a guy with his record in MLS like Montero, I mean, that's a great addition for the Whitecaps to have in such a situation like that. I thought it was also interesting as well just to talk about him coming up through the ranks in Colombia and then making the move to MLS. And of course, the scary, scary time that that was when the, the fans invaded the Sporting Lisbon locker room. 
I mean, looking back on that and just hearing Freddie talking about it, certainly a scary situation. And I mean, I'm all for passion in football, but you don't do that to your own team's players. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace. And how they managed to get away with that and invade that, that locker room, it, it just, it's baffling to think about. And it could really have gone a lot worse. And it's like, no wonder players like Freddie ended up leaving the club because you don't want to be living in fear. But I mean, it was good to hear him speaking so, so open and frank about it. It's certainly going to be, be tough for him and his family not being able to get over the border right now. And as he said, his business has been closed now for a, a couple of weeks. Hopefully it's going to be able to, to reopen. I know he had hopes of expanding to, to having a, a second or, or third coffee shop at some point, as we, we talked about when we, we spoke to Freddie before. So I wish him and his family well. As I said, hope to see him back on the training pitch soon. And of course, players that we are seeing on the pitch right now are in the Belarusian Premier League, which means it's time to round off this part with our weekly FK Slutsk update. We love our Slutsk, the greatest team in Belarus. And what a weekend it has been for our beloved Slutsk. They were in action on Friday against local rivals Shakhtar Soligorsk and an absolutely fantastic match. Shakhtar had the early going, but Yuri Kozlov scored in the 25th minute a fantastic free kick. Bit of luck, floated in from 40 yards out, bounced in the box, everyone left it, including the Shakhtar goalkeeper, ended up in the back of the net, 1-0 to the Slutsk. And they doubled that advantage in first half stoppage time, two minutes in, Kozlov again, Playing in Umar Bala Mohammed and some great individual work by the Nigerian. Showed some great footwork, slotted it into the bottom corner. 2 now at half time. Slutskin Dreamland. Could they hold on? Well, it looked for a while that that dream was going to turn into a nightmare when Denis Obrazov saw a second yellow, got sent off for a handball in the box. Bit of a harsh decision by the referee, I felt. Double whammy for, for Slutsk. Obrazov sent off. Penalty to Shakhtar, upstepped Darko Bodo, only to be denied by the fantastic Borov Pankratov. Sluts kept their 2-0 lead. Surely they would hold on now. Well, I mean, they did really well. They, they held everything that Shakhtar threw at them, and to be fair, Shakhtar's finishing was pretty woeful in this one. But then in the 89th minute, Shakhtar got on the score sheet, bit of luck to a deflection off Soleimani Koanda, who's a fantastic centre-back for Slutsk, and I really wouldn't mind if the Whitecaps took a look at him, Burkino Faso native. Unfortunately, the ball hit off him, deflected into the net, 2-1, and then it was squeaky bum time for Slutsk. Pankratov coming off with a fantastic save in stoppage time to keep their lead intact, earning the three points, and that sent Slutsk to the top of the table on Friday night. They started the weekend in fourth. The three teams above them were going to be in action on Saturday night. None of them could get the win. FK Slutsk finished the weekend top of the table. Come on, you sluts. The boys in blue are top of the league. Let's hope they can stay there. But that is it for this part of the show. We're going to be back with the final part of tonight's show, which this week won't include the the start of our new episodic serial, Hadn't quite nailed down which one I wanted to do yet. So we're going to bring you a little bit of a fun piece looking at some of Mark DeSantis' favourite TV programmes and documentaries. 
And some more news stories from North America in BC Soccer Web headlines. And we'll be back with all that after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show. And it's not just Scottish rap we bring you. That was some Russian hardcore punk and hip-hop from a band called Moscow Death Brigade and their new single that's out, Out the Basement. A band I had never heard of until a couple of weeks ago, but when I was on one of my YouTube binges that I like to do late at night, just clicking on recommended videos or trying to kind of set up a, a little pattern of videos that link into each other. That was one of the recommendations. I immediately fell in love with them, watched loads of their videos, and they're a great band. Check them out. And binging on YouTube videos has always been a way that I find myself losing hours at, at night sometimes. After my wife's gone to bed, I'm just like playing around watching one video after another. It's certainly a great way to occupy your time with no live sports on TV just now. Now, I'm sure we're all finding some weird and wonderful ways to keep busy right now. I'm still feasting on lots of things that I've downloaded and trying to catch up with some shows and watching the PDC Darts at Home that started on Friday and is going to be running for the next 30 days. Live sport on DAZN. If you haven't got DAZN, you can also get it on the PDC official website. It's free to register and watch the matches and that. I've got a pile of books I'm hoping to catch up with as well. It's strange. There's no football to go to, there's no training to go to, I've currently got no non-football work to go to, and yet despite it all, I've never been busier here at AFTN. We're trying to keep things going with a few articles a week on the site, every sort of day or second day we hope to have something up on the site. Been jumping on a lot of conference calls and just getting stuff ready for, for these shows as well. And of course the likes of Netflix and Prime, Disney Plus, it's something that's occupying a lot of people's attentions just now. And there's a lot of good football content out there. We've we've talked about some of it on the show. We've written a little bit about it on the site. We've got some more articles to come. But I always find it interesting to find out what the, the players and, and coaches and the Whitecaps and around the league are, are doing to occupy their time away from, from keeping fit. I mean, just what is Whitecaps coach Mark DeSantos doing just now to, to occupy his time? Well, let's find out in our latest TVOD. TVOD, TVOD, TVOD. Talked about that you were like watching some Netflix stuff and sort of football things. I 
I've been doing a piece on some of my favourite kind of football movies. And I, I don't know how many of those you've seen over the years, but I mean, is there any any films about the game out there that, that you love to watch and or that you want to watch? The things I watch more about, uh, about football, for sure, that I, I watch a lot of games. So that takes away the time I could have watching movies or uh, documentaries. Uh, but I would say that I watch more documentaries, you know, example like... Uh, Boca Junior Confidential or The All or Nothing or the documentary about France at the 98 World Cup. It's in French called Les Dieux dans les Bleus. Um, those are documentaries and series that I like watching. But uh, when we talk about football movies, the one that I really like, I really enjoyed watching was the Them United. Oh, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it, you know, I, I I thought it was fantastic and to have the co I would love to, to, to be close to a, clo a coach like that. Uh, I really like the movie on uh, Bobby Robson's story. Uh, I think it was, a, 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 the, the story of Bobby Robson is incredibly motivating and what a good man he was and a good coach. So. Uh, those are the two football movies that I really enjoyed. Of course, the the the, the class of '92 was a fantastic one too. Uh, I liked One Night in Turin, uh, also from the the English national team at the Italian World Cup. Lately, I watched the movie of Maradona. I was incredibly impressed from from his lifestyle at, at Napoli. So. Yeah, I, I, I've watched some of them, um, and I like to watch, but of course when I'm in season, I, I get caught watching so many games that it's more the time of watching movies that is difficult for me. TVOD. I don't need a TV screen. I just stick the aerial into my skin. Let the signal run through my veins. TVOD. Mark DeSantos there, talking about some of the football films and documentaries that's been occupying his time during the current shutdown. Let us know what you've been watching as well. Send us a tweet at AFT in Canada or send us an email to AFTNCanada at hotmail.com. We've got some more articles coming up on the site recommending some of our, our favourite football-related TV shows and films and documentaries, so we'll have those coming up in the next little while for you. But now, to end tonight's show, it's time for BC's Soccer Web Headlines! BC's Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com. Your one-stop site for local, national and international news, links, stories, features and a lot more beside. Make it part of your daily routine, morning, noon and night. Check out bcsoccerweb.com What's been catching my eye on the site this week and elsewhere around the interwebs. So joining us for BC Soccer Web Headlines this week once again is Zach. So we'll get into to some of the We've got three stories we want to look at this week. All, all of them actually are, are kind of MLS related. And the first one we'll look at, it's in Mexico. 
Liga MX announced this week that they will have no promotion and relegation between the top two divisions for the next five years. All the details are still to get thrashed out. It looks as if the the clubs in Division 2 will receive a payment of around $2 million. There's even been talk that they're going to turn that into a developmental league for the under-23 teams of the top teams. But it means clubs that's in Division 2 just now that's got any ambition, they're stuck where they are for five years. Teams now in Division 1 of League at MX, they, they've got a little bit of security because there had been some money issues in the league. And some folk, at least, want promotion relegation in MLS and in North American leagues, the CPL, if they can set up divisions. Um, Liga MX is often pointed to as the, the league on the continent where that can happen. Now you've got that league coming out and saying, nope, we're going to follow what MLS do. We're not having promotion relegation. And I think it's a surprise. I think it's a wrong step. And you have to wonder what this might mean just for football on the continent as a whole. And will this throw up the discussions again of Liga MX and MLS joining forces for a, a combined league? Please, no. Um, <laughs> is there something that instigated this? Like, what's the catalyst? Basically, money issues. A, a lot. The, yeah, yeah, obviously, it's the concern of the top, the top flight, you know, the seller dwellers of the top flight not wanting to lose money by going down. Yeah. Is there anything else? Did something else not that I not that I've read. It just it just seems to be that they think that they need to just stabilise the league. I mean, the English Premier League. There was rumours last year that some of the clubs were looking at going for a closed shop and no promotion relegation in that. And of course, clubs that's then in the Premier League that risk relegation, they would vote for that and go, "Oh yeah, that's a great idea." So I think. MLS is criticised by a lot of people for not having it, but there's other leagues around the world that look at that and owners around the world that think, you know what, this this is actually a good system because it gives us some security. No matter how bad a year we have, we'll not get relegated. And the Atlas owner came out today or, today or yesterday and was talking about he thinks this is another chance to, to look at having a closer working relationship with MLS, whatever that could mean. And, I mean, you could be looking at, at having a combined league. And then if there was such a thing, clubs like the Whitecaps are obviously not going to be in the top flight in there. So, I mean, what's the appetite for for clubs like the Whitecaps playing lower league Mexican opposition or just playing in the dregs of MLS? And you have to think amongst the fans, maybe not huge. Uh, yeah, I mean, promotion and relegation is such a great thing for the sport of football in terms of just the competitiveness of that, the competitive elements it adds to the leagues that have it, which is most of the world. Yeah. Um, and so those who followed football uh, from places that are not MLS <laughs> um, have, I think, really come to appreciate and see the value in it. Yes. Does this impact you financially? Yes. Uh, just like having, just like being like last place in a North American league impacts you financially. Obviously, probably not as bad, but still impacts you financially, right? Ask the Whitecaps. You know, they were awful last year, last in their conference and their season tickets. I mean, there's other things going on, obviously, but yeah. 
Um, and you miss so, out on playoff revenue from TV and gates and stuff as well. So there's oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Promotion relegation is I, the other thing I like about promotion relegation is when you look around the world, it's not only done one way, right? It's done differently in Germany than yeah. it is in England. It's done differently in Holland than it is there. You know, even you know where you come from, Scotland, right? The, the way the league splits at the end, yeah, right. You know, like there's all there's all kinds of ways that you can do this to make it engaging and competitive and whatever. The biggest problem is 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 what we talked we've had, we had a conversation earlier about expansion fees and how critical they are to to making MLS viable right you know the the, the pyramid scheme right uh, it is what's kind of the glue that's holding that the league together um, and so they would have to have some hard hard discussions they'd have to do something they'd have to do something the reverse of what you know is being done in Mexico where they say hey Everyone's in, and then five years from now, we're we're going towards this, as, you know, for it to happen in, in in like an MLS context. I love what the CPL has done. It said, "Hey, we're starting off. We're new. We're small. Hey, just so you know, long term, our plan is we we like how this works in the rest of the world, and that's what we're aiming for. So they 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 they're, they've everyone's safe now. Owners are safe for now, right? But they everyone knows the long term goal." Uh, this 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 thing. I, I haven't looked at the Mexican uh, table from first second division and stuff. I mean, I haven't looked at second division Mexico since Johnny Leveron was playing, playing there a while ago. <laughs> um, but um, so I wonder if they're just at a, a sweet spot where they think all the big clubs are in the right league and probably close, close the door. Uh, I mean, when they talk about there's different ways to do. It. I remember Brazil, Mexico might be similar in Brazil years ago or Argentina, or both of them, there was, like, some convoluted relegation thing where yes. it was, like, it was, like, not if you finished last this year, there was an element of, like, how did you do over the last three years or five years? Or yeah, because I, I think it was Argentina. Some big team finished in the relegation spot, and they're like, oh, we can't get them relegated. Yeah, so I think they changed it because of that or whatever. And then and then in Scotland, right? You have, even in Scotland, you, you've had your issues over, hey, we're not going to promote you because you don't have a big enough ground. Yep. Right, um, so there's all kinds of there's all other kind of ways you can keep people out or keep people down or keep people up or whatever. But um, I really, I, I, this is sad news to me that Mexico is doing this or considering this or whatever. Because um, ultimately, I think uh, for the betterment of the co- of the competitions, you want it to go the other way. I literally just got a text today uh, from uh, from a from a buddy from Curva Collective, uh, Jeremy McBride, just saying, "Hey, I just watched Thunderland till I die." So, like, have you watched it? You know, what did you think about, you know, like the watching, when you watch that, especially the first season, right? When you watch that, it's so, it's sad and depressing, but it's also, there's yeah. something about the competition and the way, uh, the way that things go and the way that there's more meaningful games, you know, uh, the, at the end of the season for more teams. I don't know. I think long term, it's, it's, uh, it's a good way to go. As a, a supporter of a lower league team in Scotland, if you don't have promotion and relegation, it's like, what's the point? Because your team can only go to a certain level, so what's the point? I've been involved in last day promotions and last day relegations, and just the roller coaster of emotions on those days. I mean, it's, it's horrible in a way to be part of a game like that. 
because so much is on the line. But it's so exhilarating. And, I mean, the the two guys we've spoken to on the show, Gianni Obekel, he was involved in a relegation battle and got, releva- got relegated in Holland. Freddie Montero was just talking about how he was involved in a relegation battle in China and they stayed up in the last day. Like, for a player, they thrive and stuff like that as well. That's an experience that they talk about when you're looking at their career. It's like they highlight that as, oh, I remember this, that was a great thing, or, oh, I remember that, that was a bad thing. And taking that away from all those players and all the supporters, I mean, I, I feel so much for supporters of the Division Two teams who go and religiously follow their clubs and it's like their dream is to get into the top flight, to maybe go and play against a Tigris or an Atlas or a Leon or one of those sides and it's like now it's just taken away from them and it's like, well, this is it. This is what we're stuck with for five years and it's at least five years. It's not even just five years. It's at least five years. And this is a done deal, right? Yeah, it's all, all done. And interestingly... It takes them up, basically, to the 2026 World Cup. World Cup, yeah. And everyone's talking about, oh, that's going to change the landscape of North American soccer. And I genuinely now think it does. And I think after the World Cup, I think we will see a combined Liga MX MLS. I just think more eyes will be on the continent and they'll be able to attract more players if they have a combined league like that. I'm not saying it's a great thing, it would be exciting if your team is involved in the top flight, but for a club like Vancouver, I, I don't know. I mean, you have some fun away days, but if you were never getting promoted, if you were stuck in the lower tiers or whatever, it would soon it would soon get a bit boring. Yeah. I mean, already in MLS, it's like if you don't make if you're not in the playoff picture, the end of the season's pretty boring. So, I mean, who knows what the future will, will hold in store. I, I can't see any way, though, that we don't have a combined league at some point. Unless FIFA step in and say, nope, you can't have a league that, that transgresses three countries. Because then that opens the door for European Super Leagues, which is something that I'm pretty yeah. sure FIFA don't want. You UEFA certainly... To stop that. Yeah, UEFA definitely want it. I, I look back to when I was growing up, and like football in the 70s and 80s, it's unrecognisable in a number of ways. Not all bad. I mean, some of it's fantastic how it's changed. But you wonder, 2030, 2040, what the world game is going to look like. And I mean, that's something we could... We did it once. We did a kind of what the future is going to look like thing in a spoof kind of way. Oh, yeah. But it might might be fun to to sit down one day and have a just a, a podcast just chatting about that to various people as to what they think football will look like in 2030. That would be enjoyable. Mm. Moving on to our our second story, staying in MLS, Seattle Times ran a story today, which is Sunday the the 19th of April, uh, looking at the decision and what went behind the decision for the Sounders to play their home opener on March 7th, we talked about it on the show at the time. I was really surprised that the Sounders went ahead with that game considering all the the coronavirus outbreaks that had hit King County and round about Seattle. Yeah. They they got a crowd of around 33,000 for it. I thought it was 36, but the article said 33,000. Um, I mean, you'd remarked that that's probably lower th- than usual. 
the article said that folk were surprised it was so many. And then it just it details all the emails that went back and forward behind the decision, and it just does not paint anyone in a good light. It's, it's playing the whole, oh, we didn't know what we know now card, which to an extent is true, but so much of it was very predictable about how this was going to go when you saw how this had gone in other countries, that to, to pack that amount of people into a stadium in an area that's already starting to get hit with the virus, I mean, it was baffling at the time. Reading this, it's going to be interesting to see how Seattle fans react to it because in the article, it's even like, hey, Seattle came out to support. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very kind of damning article, right? Like, stuff that's come out now in terms of what they how they were uh you know the the, the, the chief medical officer or whatever kind of didn't want it to happen but maybe wasn't firm enough or whatever and yeah. allowed people to make decisions right is that does that fair yeah i mean a lot of the article seems to point fingers at, at the sounders which i would actually say if, if you say to a football club oh it's up to you most football yeah. clubs are going to go ahead it needs the officials in King County and Washington State to say, no, we think this is a stupid idea, especially since we're outlawing gatherings of more than 50. Well, that's the thing, because that, that, the outlawing thing happened, like, what, two days before, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that didn't make sense. I know, and then it was going to kick in after it and stuff, and it's like, no, yeah. do, do it now. If you know that this is a risk, you don't wait until you've packed all these people together. And football fans... It's spontaneous. If there's a goal, if you're celebrating, you hug each other, you're in close contact with each other. I mean, that, that's why they, there can't be social distancing at football when football returns. Because I, I was talking to this with my wife, because I was like, you'd need six feet in front, six feet behind, six feet left and right. What happens then if you need to go to the, the toilet? You have to squeeze past people. So it's impossible. So, I mean, they knew that you're cramming all those folk together and it's going to be interesting to see if the Sounders or MLS respond to this. I think this could be a story we, we touch on next week as well, but... It, it, oh. it has, like, I wonder if, like, you know, America's famous for, you know, litigation. I wonder if this will have, like, if anyone... Did, I guess the article didn't say, right? We don't know if anyone actually got... We don't... Do we know people who got sick at the game? The only person that we know that... I mean, there's the... There's the Seattle uh, official. So one of the front office staff, he tested right. and he was at the game. But we don't know if any he supporters... Was, he was sick beforehand, wasn't he? Uh, the article seemed to indicate that he tested positive the following week and he had worked oh, right. the yes, game. Yes. No, I mean, he might have had it at the game, but yes, I mean, he, he had worked the game and then he tested positive. It was the worker. It was the worker. Yeah, he was at the they, XFL They knew about thing. that before. That they didn't want to highlight for people. Yeah, I, yeah it'd be interesting if if someone traces their if someone who was at that game traces the fact that they got they, they if they're actually able to trace the fact that they maybe got it at the at that game, then you think there like there would be a major issue. Oh yeah, it's surely open to litigation. And those, I, those, some of those emails that talk about you know what are we going to say now and what are we going to put out after and all that kind of oh, yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, and if, if not, they couldn't even all agree on that because the Sounders wanted to put something in saying that they were in contact at all times and looking at things. 
And the yeah. XFL were like, well, we don't want that in. And then they were going to send the, the statement out with the logos of all the clubs and then the Seahawks. And I think rightly said, well, we don't want our logo on it. This has nothing to do with us right now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because you're using them as the big name to back this. And they're like, yeah, don't put our logo on this. We're not affected by this because we're not playing. Yeah. It's just a, it's a bit of a mess. And... I mean, the Seattle Times is it's it's not a publication that's like just like yeah, that's the word I was looking for. I couldn't think of, and it's it's a it's a big paper down there. So the the following week and the fallout from this could be certainly interesting. It'll be interesting to follow to see if anything comes of it. Yeah, and of all the games that went on that weekend, that was the one that should have been in doubt because that was where the outbreak was happening at that point. Yeah. And I, I would not if I was a a, a Sounders fan, which I know you like to say I am, but I'm not. Oh, you've told us. <laughs> you them but there, there's no way I would have gone to that game, and I think folk that went to that game in light of what was happening down there, whether it was on or not, it was just crazy. But I mean, at that time in the US, everything was getting played down by government officials and the CDC. So I mean, I think we were ahead of the curve or ahead of everything at, at that point up here in Canada we were more aware of what was happening and more concerned because I mean, Steve and me had talked that I mean that next week all the games were cancelled in MLS but if the White go. yeah if the Whitecaps game was on we weren't going to because we were like it's not worth the risk just, just to go to a football match it's, it's not worth the risk not necessarily from being at the game but from travelling and everything, all the other aspects of it. Yeah. Now, our final story we're going to look at tonight, staying in MLS, and it's an ex-player, Wayne Rooney, who I've been surprisingly praising. It's a guy I was never a fan of really before. Since he has left MLS, I mean, he keeps going up in my estimation. The stuff that he's saying and writing is just spot on. And I'd love to get a chance to chat with him at some point. So hopefully at some point, maybe we will for the show. But he did a podcast with his former teammate, Quincy Ameriqua. Living in Ameriqua. Woo! Always thought that should have been the song they sang for him. Um, and on that podcast, he was basically slating the MLS transfer system and saying that the whole structure of it is terrible. He told a story about he was training at D.C., with a player, an hour later the player was saying goodbye to everyone because he was getting traded, and he was saying to Steve Birnbaum, what, what's happening here? I don't understand this. Can this happen? He didn't know he was getting traded. How's, how's that allowed to happen? And he's just, he can't believe that that system exists. And he says it's only there to benefit the owners, it's not there to benefit the players, which obviously is the case, and that if MLS wants to attract top talent, they need to have a transfer system like Europe also, he said, get rid of the salary cap if you want to get top quality talent, because as things stand as it is just now, you're not going to get that talent over here. And I agree with him. Yeah, I never thought I'd agree so much with Wayne Rooney. I mean, I, I've described. Toronto, we were talking about how. Yeah. How wise he's getting in his old age. I mean, it's fantastic, and I've I've described the MLS transfer system as akin to slavery, which I know is very dramatic, and some folk might get offended by that. But it is because these players have no say over where they go. And at a minute's notice, and we've had it here in Vancouver, we've had players who just have to uproot their family, uproot pregnant family members 
Yeah, I, I mean, it happens all over the league and it's terrible. And we've spoken to players, like when Breck Shea came here, we're like, when did you find out that it was happening? And Breck Shea said, about 10 minutes before you guys did. And I didn't even have a chance to tell my wife because she read it on Twitter. I mean, you've got stuff like that. That's terrible. It need, It does need to change. I'm surprised that wasn't something that the players pushed for in their CBA, to be honest. Maybe they did, but I'm surprised that they didn't push harder for it to get it put in. Well, they can maybe get it put in now because it's not ratified yet. Oh, right? that's true. So who knows? It's all up for grabs again. Uh, yeah, and if the if the league and the owners start pissing the players about, I think they might be a bit more hardball if they have to renegotiate a CBA. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, good old Wayne Rooney. But that is it for tonight's show. Just before we go... Let everyone know where they can find you online, Zach. Yeah, it's on Twitter. You can find me at Zachary AM. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, on Instagram at AFTN Soccer, and on YouTube, AFTN Canada. Like, subscribe, share. We've got some videos coming up. I know I keep saying this, but we do have some videos coming up on the channel soon. Don't forget as well, you can also subscribe to our extra podcast. $30 a year. a month that will get you at least one extra podcast in your email inbox every month. Got another one coming out in the next week or so, so if you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. Just watch your emails for that. And if you're not a subscriber, go over to aftn.ca, type in extra podcast, and you can find out how you can be. But we will be back next week with another packed AFTN soccer show. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy and wash your hands. Bye, everyone. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.